If you will turn with me once again to the New Testament, I'm going, <clears throat> I'm going to read in the Ephesian letter, in chapter 3, those verses that we have read each evening. Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, that ye may be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inward man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, to the end that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be strong to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye may be filled unto all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then in the letter of the Apostle Paul <coughs> to the Philippians, the Philippian letter, chapter 3, from verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, and glory in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If any other man thinketh to have confidence in the flesh, I yet more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law a Pharisee, as touching zeal persecuting the church, as touching the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. Howbeit what things were gained to me, these have I counted loss for Christ. Yea, verily, and I count all things to be lost, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but refuse, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own, even that which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming conformed unto his death, if by any means I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I press on, if so be that I may lay hold on that for which also I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself yet to have laid hold, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and stretching forward to the things which are before, I press on toward the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as are perfect be thus minded, and if in anything ye are otherwise minded, this also shall God reveal unto you. Only whereunto we have attained by that same rule, let us walk. Brethren, be ye imitators together of me, and mark them that so walk, even as ye have us for an ensample. And back to the Ephesian letter, one verse, chapter 4, in the Ephesian letter, chapter 4, verse 13, till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Shall we bow together in a word of prayer? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we come now to the ministry of your word, we can depend and rely upon you because you have, Lord, made a specific provision for this time of ministry. We thank you, Lord, because left to our own devices, we can use many words, outline many truths, give even sound doctrine, but, Lord, it will all be of no eternal value. Preserve us, Lord, from just adding to our academic knowledge of things about you. We pray, Lord, that you will this night touch the eyes of our hearts. Give us vision, Lord, as we've, as we've sung, to nerve us for the fight. Lord, open our eyes to see something of the fathomless uh, depths there are in our Lord Jesus, something of a wider horizon, something of the goal that you have set before us. Lord, only you can do this. And Lord, I am entirely inadequate, and I am thankful, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is here, and that he is able to take this poor frame and use it, Lord, to communicate the burden of your heart. Do it, O oh Lord. 
by faith we all stand together speaker and hearer into that anointing that we may know that touch of yours upon my speaking and upon our hearing so that your purpose in this time be gloriously fulfilled. Thank you, Lord, for being with us in all the times we've had. Thank you for these young people and children. We thank you for them, Lord, and for the love that's gone into all the preparation of the times they've had. Thank you, Lord, that as we come toward the end of this conference, tonight and tomorrow, you are going to be with us in an especial way. We thank you and praise you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. I want, as the Lord helps me this evening, to speak about the goal that God has set before us. There is a tremendous emphasis in the New Testament on going on. This, I think, is very largely overlooked in uh, Christian circles. We tend to think that uh, conversion, uh, being born again, our salvation is the end of the law. That's all that matters, to be saved. Well, it's quite obvious that to be born again is fundamental and essential. If we're not born again, we can't start in the race. We cannot enter the family of God. We cannot belong to the household of faith. We cannot be a partaker of the commonwealth of Israel. But that is only the beginning. And to make the beginning the end is a catastrophe. Some people go further and they feel that what is required is an experience of the Holy Spirit. And whether we call it the anointing of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the empowering of the Holy Spirit or whatever we like to call it, we feel that's the end of the Lord. And once you've had that experience of the Holy Spirit, you have arrived. There's no more to be had. You have now come to the end of God's purpose. His purpose is not only to save you, but to anoint you and to empower you with the Holy Spirit. There are others who feel that uh, it is uh, necessary to have a, an experience of the cross. Uh, that uh, it's not only necessary to be saved, but we must know what it is to be crucified with Christ. And that is the end of the matter. That once we have laid down our lives for the Lord, we've arrived. We've now entered into a new dimension, and that's the end of the Lord. There is no more. That is it. Some people have got the idea that church truth is the end of the Lord. That once we've seen uh, the church, once we've seen the real nature of the church, then all we have to do is to set the thing up, and um, that's the end of the Lord. That's all that's required. That's the end of salvation. That's the end of the matter. 
But all these things, all these experiences are only the beginning. Every single one of these things, obviously to be born again is the very beginning. But all these other things are but a means to an end. Even our fellowship together, even our being built up together, even our maintaining of the unity of the Spirit is all a means to an end. We have to, with very real sadness note the tragic level of superficiality that there is amongst us who know and love the Lord there is such a shallowness such a characterless type of Christian life anemic colorless spineless I suppose the affluence of western society has had much to do with this it has produced a kind of lukewarmness that is uh, uh, quite uh, satisfied with uh, outward things and satisfied with basically a superficial knowledge. But this is not the New Testament. It is not the whole counsel of God. It is not even the gospel of our Lord Jesus. For once we begin to look at the word of God and especially these letters that have been my special uh, assignment in these evening times in connection with the fullness of Christ, in connection with pressing on into that fullness, we discover that there is a warning after warning after warning after warning. Don't go back. Don't give up. Don't cast away your confidence. Don't settle down. Go on, press on, move on, enter in, lay hold. You'll find it everywhere. There is no such thing in the, uh, the letters that we have been considering. There is no such thing as a kind of quietest passivity. A kind of, well, we've got it all. We've got, we don't have to do anything. We just sit still. We know it all. We have it all. Let's just take a look. Consider, first of all, the phrases, for instance, goal or prize or reward. What a lot there is. We can't possibly look at it all. But just a few scriptures. Take, for instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The first letter of the, to the Corinthians chapter 9. From verse 24. Listen carefully to it. Know ye not that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? Even so run that ye may attain. 
And every man striveth in the games, exerciseth self-control in all things. Now they do it to receive a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, as not uncertainly, so fight I as not beating the air, but I buffet my body and bring it into bondage, lest by any means after that I have preached to others, I myself should be a reject. Now that's pretty severe talk. There is a prize. There is a race to be run. There is a discipline to be exercised. And there is the possibility of being a reject. Not to do with salvation, but to do with the end of the Lord. The inheritance, if you like, the goal of the Lord. Or again, turn to Colossians and chapter 2. The Colossian letter and chapter 2. And verse 18, just one little phrase. Let no man rob you of your prize. Let no man rob you of your prize. Look at Philippians, the passage we read together, verse uh, 14. I press on toward the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So there is a prize, there is a race to be run and apparently not everybody obtains the prize. Look again at 2 Timothy, the second letter of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day and not to me only but also to all them that have loved his appearing. He's finished the course. He's uh, fought the fight. He's finished the course and he's kept the faith. So there is a race to be run, a course to be finished, and so on. And then we find we have this call to go on, or to press on, or to enter in, or to lay hold. Look at, for instance, I hope you don't mind this Bible study, but once we've gone through some of these scriptures, then we'll be able to say quite a lot about them. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Wherefore, leaving the doctrine of the first principles of Christ, let us press on unto perfection or to full growth, to completion, to the fullness. Leaving the things which are primary, let us press on to full growth. Or again, chapter 4, verse 1. Let us fear, therefore, lest haply a promise 
being left of entering into his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. Verse 11, let us therefore give diligence to enter into that rest that no man fall after the same example of disobedience. This is the Hebrew letter. Look back to, again, the first letter of Timothy, chapter 6 and verse 12. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal whereunto thou wast called. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal. It may be yours, but is it your experience? Lay hold on it. Uh, or again, <clears throat> look at... Um, uh, Philippians, back to the Philippian letter, chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect, but I press on, if so be that I may lay hold on that for which also I was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal under the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the apostle says in verse 15, let us therefore as many as are full grown be thus minded. And again in verse 17, brethren, be ye imitators of me. Imitators in what way? Imitators in this pressing on in this laying hold on that for which also he was laid hold on by Christ Jesus. And lastly, in connection with this, back to the Hebrew letter, and um, a very interesting little phrase right at the beginning in chapter 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This, of course, is written to believers. How shall we escape, that is escape losing the reward, losing the prize, losing our inheritance, how shall we escape such a loss if we neglect so great a salvation? It's one thing to be saved, it's one thing to know the salvation of God, but are we neglecting it? Are we appropriating everything that has been given to us in that so great salvation? In other words, the warning of God's word, especially in these letters, is this. If we do not press on, if we do not enter into what the Lord has already won for us, if we don't lay hold on that which he has freely given us, we stand to lose very much indeed. Now I'd like to take you all one step further if you're still with me and not fast asleep. Um, and that is, I want you to look at this passage that we read together in the third chapter of the Philippian letter. It is the most remarkable testimony 
in the Bible. I, I say that without, I feel any possibility of contradiction. I think it is the most remarkable testimony in the whole Bible, certainly within the New Testament. Here we have the veil drawn on one side and we see into the heart of the Apostle Paul. And we, we, we understand something of his spiritual character, something of the vision, the heavenly vision that's come to him that's, in one sense, obsessed him. It, from the moment God gave him that vision of the goal, of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, he couldn't be the same. He, 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 uh, he was uh, spoiled for anything less and anything other than God's highest and God's uttermost. It is a most remarkable testimony. Consider it, will you, for a few moments? <laughs> um, uh, I, I wonder how many of you read this, and as they say in Irish English, it's run off you like water off a duck's back. Um, what does Paul mean? Listen to this phrase. Verse 8. That I may gain Christ. He says, I count all things but loss that I may gain Christ. That is the most unevangelical language I have ever heard. What is he talking about? You don't win Christ through doing things? Christ is God's unspeakable gift to us. We receive the Lord Jesus by faith. It is, he is God's gift to us. It is of grace, not of works. So why is Paul saying, I suffer the loss of all things that I may gain Christ, or that I may win Christ? What can he be talking about? Does he mean that he doesn't have Christ? Does he mean that Christ isn't living in him? Does he mean that he is not in Christ now? I don't understand it. This letter was written, I might just put in the historical footnote, this letter was written after this apostle had already written the Roman letter, the 1st Corinthian letter, the 2nd Corinthian letter, the Galatian letter, the 1st Thessalonian letter, the 2nd Thessalonian letter, and the letter to Philemon. Now wouldn't you, if you read the Roman letter, the 1st and 2nd Corinthian letter, the Galatian letter, the first and second Thessalonian letter, the Philemon letter, and wouldn't you have said, this man definitely knows the Lord. There's no shadow of a doubt about it. This man knows the Lord. He, he, he is in Christ. He's joined to Christ. And Christ is dwelling in him. There's no doubt about it. I've often said to some of you, but you'll pardon me saying it again, if I had only written, been used by the Lord to write just 1 Corinthians 12, I'd been very excited. <laughs> or, or, or just Romans 8. It would have satisfied me. I would have said to you for all eternity, did you ever read the chapter I wrote? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'd have been so thrilled just to have written one, just to have been used by the Lord to, to write one little portion of these letters. But this man has written the whole of Romans. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. I mean, it's incredible. I would have been happy to have written 1 Corinthians 13, but he wrote the whole thing. I would have been very happy to have written just 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 4, but he wrote the whole letter. And Galatians, and 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon, before he wrote in this testimony, I count all things but thus that I may win Christ. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? If he hasn't already won Christ or gained Christ from what he's written in his letters, where does it leave me? I haven't got a knowledge of the Lord like he has. I must be in the outer wings of darkness. <laughs> that I may gain Christ. And then, and then I think of another little phrase we, we have here. Um, um, uh, he says in verse uh, uh, tw uh, 12. Um, not that I have already obtained, or I'm already full-grown. Well, forgetting the full-grown for one moment, what does he mean, that, not that I have already obtained? This man, in his, one, in his second Corinthian letter, and chapter 12, tells us he was caught up to the third heaven and heard things that it is not even lawful for a man to utter. Now, I would have said that represents some kind of obtaining. I mean, today, and especially in charismatic circles, you've only got caught up to the first heaven and you go all around the platforms of the earth <laughs> telling everybody what I learnt in the first heaven. What was revealed to me? But here is someone who was caught up to the third heaven and heard things that he said he was forbidden to talk about, forbidden to share. And he says, not that I have already obtained or am already made perfect or full grown. What can he mean? Where does it leave you and me? Or I think again of, um, I do not, he says in verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have laid hold. Well, now this is getting me so confused. I mean, I had always understood that when you're saved and when you're born again, you, you have received the Lord Jesus. Uh, now from this testimony of the Apostle Paul, not written in the first shaky moments of his conversion, not written just a month or two after he'd found the Lord, but quite some time afterwards when he'd had real experience and had been used by God in, 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 in many, many marvelous ways, we find him talking like this. What does he mean? And then I think of another most extraordinary little phrase, and I'm not going to stay on it, perhaps Brother Stephen will, um, uh, even though he's dealing with the book of Revelation. 
Um, but in verse 11 it says, that I may attain unto the resurrection from the dead. Now this is very interesting. That I may attain unto the resurrection. But everybody's going to be raised from the dead, aren't they? I mean, there's a general resurrection, it says, in the book of Revelation, of, of the good and the evil. Everybody's going to be raised. Well, now, here's a very interesting thing. In, in the Greek, it says, literally, that I may attain unto the out-resurrection from among the dead. So this is apparently in a special resurrection. Now, if that hasn't confused you, I don't know what will. Because I'm not going to explain it at all. I'm just simply saying, here buried in this testimony of this apostle is the most remarkable statement. He says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I count these things but refuse that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of mine own. And then he goes on, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death, that I may attain unto this special resurrection. Apparently, this is not to do with salvation. It is something beyond salvation. It is the goal of salvation. It is the, um, uh, the end of the Lord, not the beginning. The end of the Lord. And we find it in this marvelous verse, in verse 14. I'm going to break it down for you. I press on toward the goal unto the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now this is a mouthful. So let's stop for one moment. First of all, we have the high calling of God. The high calling of God. We know that we have been called with a tremendous calling. I spoke when I had on the first evening on these letters on the greatness of the calling and destiny of the child of God. We have been called with a tremendous calling, a high calling. So here's the first thing, the high calling of God. Everyone who's born of God, everyone who's been saved by the grace of God, everyone who has been marvelously de delivered from the powers of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's dear Son has been called with a high calling, the high calling of God. That's the first thing. Now will you please notice the second thing. It is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Not the high calling of God to do with the Lord Jesus or the high calling of God about the Lord Jesus. It is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As if God is calling us to something in His Son. Something to do with the status of His Son. Something to do with the future of His Son. Something to do with the destiny of the Messiah. He's calling us into an involvement, into a partnership, into a sharing. Something to do with His Son, the Lord Jesus. 
the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here's the third thing. Listen carefully. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So there is a prize to be won. There's a race to be run. There is a fight to be fought. There is a course to be finished. There is a faith to be kept. There is a ministry to be fulfilled. It is to do with a prize. The prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now you're ready for the fourth thing? Toward the goal. Toward the goal. Unto the prize. Of the high calling of God in God. So the goal is the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Oh dear children of God. If this had only been understood by the people of God down to the generations. What a difference it would have made to our Christian life. To our gatherings together. To our whole mentality. To our concept. We have such small horizons. Wouldn't it have been something if we'd understood this? Now we begin to understand. Apparently this winning of Christ is nothing to do with being saved or being converted or being born again. It is to do with something God has as an end of our salvation. Something into which you and I have been saved. Something over which God has brought us to a new birth. Once we're saved, once we're born of God, once we belong to the Lord, then we have this prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's ours. And we have to press on. Now do you begin to get it? If we don't count things but loss, if we don't forget the things which are behind, if we don't stretch forward to the things which are before, if we don't lay hold on that for which also we were laid hold on by Christ Jesus, if we don't press on, we're going to lose the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, we have to ask ourselves, what is this? I, have, I, I don't personally have much problem uh, uh, on this point that I'm going to just, the statement I'm just going to make, and that is it has something to do with being filled unto all the fullness of God. It has something to do with the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. In other words, now listen very carefully. Some of you may have heard me say it before, or certainly heard Stephen say it, but listen very carefully, because maybe the Holy Spirit will, will bring it into your heart in a new way this evening. It is to do with gaining not Christ as Savior, but Christ as Bridegroom. Did you hear that? It is not to do with gaining Christ as Savior. You don't win Christ as Savior. He's given to you as Savior freely by the grace of God. So is Christ given to you as bridegroom. 
But you have to go on. You have to grow up. You have to press on. You have to enter in. You have to lay hold on that for which also you were laid hold on. Why do you think the Lord Jesus saved you? Why do you think he arrested you? Why do you think he brought you to a new birth? Why do you think he's changed the whole course of your life? He laid hold on you. Christ Jesus took hold of you. He arrested you. He apprehended you. He laid hold on you. But my dear friends, what for? That you might be his bride. The breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Messiah which passes knowledge. That's the goal. That's the end of the Lord. That's why the Bible ends with a marriage. That's why in the very last chapters of the Bible, you suddenly find the father bringing the son, the lamb, and the wife of the lamb, the bride, together in a marriage supper, in an eternal union. We're only betrothed at present. We're only engaged at present. We're not yet married. And as we all know, engagements can be broken off. This goal, this prize, is something more than conversion or new birth. Let me say it again. Something more than an experience, however deep and full of the Holy Spirit. Something more than even an experience of the cross, however radical and revolutionary it may be. This goal is the end of all this. Now are you ready for something else? You go back to Ephesians 4. In verse 13, do you think this explains something? Till we all attain unto the unity of the faith, unto the full knowledge of the Son of God, unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I have never been able to understand in Christian circles, I had a, a non-Christian background and upbringing, when I found the Lord, I'd never been able to understand in Christian circles this idea that somehow or other we can live careless lives as believers. Though saved, though born again, we can live careless lives and when we die, sir, God is going to wave a kind of wand over us and all of a sudden we become full-grown saints. We can have been a total pain in the neck to everybody all through our miserable little lives. But evidently when we die, if we're saved, then God is going to wave a wand over us and we become perfect, full-fledged saints. It's incredible. Even the Lord Jesus who was without sin was made perfect 
through the things he suffered, made mature, came to completion, came to full growth through the things which he suffered. How much more you and I. Now, what I'm trying to say is, listen carefully. The bride that the Lord Jesus is seeking, he doesn't want some Hollywood type film star, beautiful to look at, and nothing between the ears and nothing behind the eyes. But there's some kind of idea that the, that's just what the Lord does want. He wants a kind of beautiful facade. A, she mustn't think because he's going to do all the thinking. She mustn't work because he's going to do all the working. She mustn't be anything. She's just a dummy. She sits there beside him looking pretty. Dressed magnificently. You know the kind of idea? This is not what the Lord is looking for. He wants people who have stepped. The Father is looking for people who have stepped in the same footsteps as the Lord Jesus, who followed the Lamb whithersoever he goes. People who through all the vicissitudes of life, the circumstances and situations have been made like the Lamb, have been conformed to his image, have been pressed until somehow they have come to maturity, they've grown up, they have become full grown. I think I'm right in saying, um, for the sake of all the ladies here, that in this Ephesians 4, when it says a full grown man, it doesn't mean a full grown male. It means a full grown person. Now, we know ourselves it is impossible to marry a child to a full-grown adult. What kind of wedding would it be? What kind of marriage would it be? What kind of family could they produce? What kind of household could they set up? Yet somehow in Christian circles, we think that the vast, great multitude of kindergarten babies, that people, the kingdom of God, are going to be married to the Lord Jesus forever. What kind of bride is it going to be? It is impossible. Unless you and I are prepared for the disciplines of the Holy Spirit, unless we are prepared for the school of the Holy Spirit, unless we're prepared to be led into deep and sometimes very difficult paths, unless we're prepared to have our capacity for the Lord extended and deepened, unless we're prepared to come to places where we learn how to overcome as He overcame by the same Spirit through the same laying down of our lives, we can never come to the throne. God is looking, if I may put it like this, for a queen for the king, who has the same nature and the same life and has come to the same full growth and has the same maturity. She can be his helpmeet. She can be his partner. She can be his complement. She can share with him in the ages of the ages to come. As I understand it, that's what this Ephesians 4.13 is really referring to. Till we all attain unto the unity of the faith. 
to a full knowledge of the Son of God, to um, a full-grown maturity, a full-grown person, uh, uh, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now I begin to understand what has caught that amazing Jewish apostle. He's seen something. The Holy Spirit has touched the eyes of his heart. He is no theologian. He is no sermon preacher. He is no mere Bible study giver. This man has caught a vision of the horizons of God. He's got a vision. He's caught a vision of the end of the Lord. He's suddenly seen that this whole creation and this whole universe and beyond it maybe other universes are dependent upon the sun finding a partner so that together into the ages to come they may go to uh, uh, fulfill the will of God and to do the works of God. I know it's a very common thing in Christian circles because we all get so weary down here and tired down here and more so than ever at the latter part of the 20th century to glory in those hymns that tell us that we are going to lie on beds of flowery ease forever and ever and ever. Evidently now we, we have to go to work, to walk and to, uh, to work and to war uh, but then, as one old hymn says, then to rest forever. And we get the idea that we're going to lie down on these lovely beds and have angels that come and give us tea if you're British and coffee if you're American and Chinese tea if you're Chinese. And I mean, all these kind of things. I mean, uh, you sort of just say, oh, endless, 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 endless rest. Nothing to do except to sing. Now, I have nothing against singing and nothing against choirs and nothing against really praising the Lord. I think it's the most wonderful thing. And of course, there's one sense in which we owe it to the Lord to praise him and to worship for all eternity. But God is just not like that. He wants to be praised and he wants to be worshipped and heaven will be filled uh, the ages to come with the song of the redeemed. But my dear folks, God wants to get on with the job. I don't even know what the job is. But when he first created this universe and created this whole creation, even now in its fallen state, in its bondage to corruption, we see something of the original design of God. How marvelous this world is. How marvelous its ecology is. How amazing its balance is. There is a universe in a drop of water. And there are universes beyond this universe. And somehow or other, all of it was created by God. What is his purpose? Do you think that the Lord has exhausted himself? You know, he sort of said, well, I, you know, I can't do anymore. I've, I've done it all. I mean, and, and, I mean uh, uh, when they fell, they ruined it all. But I mean, the only thing I can do is restore it. 
can't do any more. I've, I've, I've exhausted the whole bag of tricks. I mean, uh, um, there isn't any more. Oh, my dear friend, don't. Don't be stupid. Just don't be stupid. God is infinitely creative. And in one sense, he's, he's held himself up because this whole creation that he destined for his glory fell short because of man. And one day when somehow or other he brings the bride and the lamb together. Then he will go on with the original thought. That's why the prophets speak in terms that, well, they, they can only use human pictures, but they speak of trees clapping their hands. Have you ever seen trees clapping their hands? Valleys singing for joy and fields breaking into song. Never heard such a thing. We've never seen an ox and a lion lying down together, not just eating one over there and one over there, but actually sleeping head on each other. <laughs> lying down together. Children playing with a viper. This is what it says in the book. When it says... The knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And even if it refers to the millennium, yet still the ages that are to come beyond it, that millennium is but the faintest picture of a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. Now, the, the heart of this thing, the pivotal point of this thing, the focal point, the strategic point in this is the obtaining of the bride. That's why when we come to the last part of the Bible, we see in the very last verses, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. It's almost a marvelous picture, as if the Holy Spirit has finally produced the bride, and he says to the whole creation, Come. Now, dear child of God, let me ask you a question which you can only answer in the quietness of your own heart. Don't you think it would be a tragedy if God saved you, brought you to a new birth, and you threw away your place in that bride through negligence. But that is what a large number of us, even here, are in danger of doing. Throwing away our place, our part in the bride. We are neglecting our so great salvation. We are not laying hold on life eternal. We are not fighting the good fight of faith. We are not pressing on 
toward the goal. We are not entering in by faith. Oh, my dear friends, when I think of all this, I think I speak to myself. I think to myself, what would it be if finally I come to be with the Lord and find myself in the kingdom and find that I'm not at the heart of what he's doing. That's what caught the Apostle Paul. That's why once he saw the goal, once he saw the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, he was never the same man again. He was caught by something so tremendous, it spoiled him for anything secondary, anything less, anything poor. He called it the heavenly vision. And in another testimony he said, Wherefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Dear folks, we must finish this. But in reaching this goal, I would just like to give you one last illustration. It's contained in the Hebrew letter, interestingly, because the Hebrew letter was written to Jews. And this Hebrew letter was very much to do with the land. It speaks very much about the promised land. This land is a picture of this fullness of God. This land, in one sense, is a picture of the goal of God. God's goal was that the children of God should not only be out of Egypt, but that they should also be through the wilderness and into the land. God defined that land. For those of you who want to see it, it's Joshua 1 verse 4. There are many other places. He said exactly what it was, the extent of it, everything to do with it. He also told them the angel of his presence would go before them. You'll find that in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 5. You'll find it in Exodus, if some of you want to look it up. Verse 20, chapter 23 and verse 23 and verse 27 and verse 28. It speaks of the hornet of his presence driving out... The angel of his presence terrorizing them so that all the enemies of his people would flee before them. It sounds marvelous. Sounds marvelous. God has given this whole great land. He's defined it to his people. And then he said, don't worry. My angel's going to go before you like a hornet and drive them all out from before you. You don't have to fear. We'd almost get the impression that all we have to do is sit there and sing a hymn. 
No need for us to lay hold on anything. No need for us to enter in. No need for us to press on. No need for us to fight the good fight. No need for us to lay hold on life eternal. No, no, no. God is going to do it all. He's defined the whole land from end to end, from top to bottom, breadth, length, height, depth, everything. It's all there. All, and he's the angel of his presence is going to go before us and drive out all our enemies. When we get there, they won't even be there. They'll all be gone. And then he contradicts it all by saying, every place that the sole of your feet treads upon, that will I give you. In other words, you only have and only experience what you possess. By faith. You know it's interesting when you think about it. Because these dear people were through. Out of Egypt. Saved. They were led by the Lord in the wilderness. A pillar of fire by night. And a pillar, a pillar of cloud by day. They were fed with manna and quails. They had drink watered out of the rock. All these things were in the wilderness. All these marvelous experiences of the Lord. But they were never meant to stay in the wilderness. There is no fullness of life in the wilderness. There is no being filled unto all the fullness of God in the wilderness. There is no coming to the marriage supper of the Lamb in the wilderness. You have to go over into the land and possess your inheritance. You have to fight the good fight of faith. You have to lay hold on life eternal. You have to enter in by faith and put the soles of your feet down and say, This is mine by the finished work of the Lord Jesus. Then the angel of the Lord goes before you. The moment you put your feet down... Then the angel of the Lord is there to drive out the enemies. Then the hornet of the Lord goes before you. But only when you put your feet down and say, This is mine in the name of the Lord. I find this a tremendous illustration. I find it very interesting in the Hebrew letter. Let none of us fail to enter in, says the writer. A promise being given to us. Let none of us fail. We need faith. And we need that other spirit. Because when those spies were sent into the land, all twelve of them, they all saw the same thing. They saw a marvelous land, a full land. They all saw fortified cities and great fortresses. And they said they were walled up to heaven and giants in the land. And ten of them said, it is impossible for us to go in. The difficulties are too great. The opposition is too enormous. The obstacles are too many. We cannot do it. And two of them said... The Lord 
will take us in and the Lord will give us this land. They had another spirit. Many of us know all about the heavenly vision. We know all about what God wants of us. But we say, no, 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 sorry, sorry. Too many difficulties in my life. My marriage is very difficult. My home is very difficult. My parents are very difficult. My children are very difficult. There are so many obstacles in my life. If you knew the obstacles in my life, you wouldn't talk like this. Of course I know that there's a fullness of God. I know there's a fullness of Christ. I know you should be filled with the Holy Spirit. I know that you should lay hold. But I can't in my thing. I've got the most extraordinary problems. Business problems. Personality problems. Cultural problems. Background problems. Inherited problems. Family problems. It's. Fortified, walled up to heaven, it's too much, too much. It's all right for the elite people like Joshua and Stephen and Ernie, Dana, them, it's quite hard me. No, 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 too difficult. Can't go in. It's not as if Caleb said, that's all right, leave it to me. I'll knock them all out. <laughs> no, that's where we get wrong. You see, we think some Christians are really strong. They're like supermen, huge muscles. And they're just going, well, I will knock them like, like Batman all over the place. <laughs> so we get the idea, oh, there are some Christians that are supermen, superwomen. Born that way, actually. I wish I was like them. <laughs> Born that way. And they just have to look and they just put their finger out and, bzz, and it's gone. <laughs> but I, I am not that kind of person. I am a poor person and I have so many difficulties. It's impossible for me to. No, my dear friend, that's not true. These other two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, there are obstacles galore. There are difficulties. There are enemies. There are fortresses. There are cities walled up to heaven. But God has said, this land is our land and we can go in in his name and take it. They knew that all they had to do was put the soles of their feet down upon that promised land and the angel of the Lord immediately went into action. The trouble with us is we're waiting for the angel of the Lord to go into action before we do anything. We want to sit there in an armchair singing a hymn and sort of, you know, sort of waiting. Now, when I see the angel of the Lord move in and clear out all of these, and once they're right out of the way, not even can I smell them, they've gone completely, I will go in. But that's not faith. That's not fighting the good fight of faith. That's not laying hold on that for which also Christ Jesus laid hold on you. What is your difficulty? Have you got a difficulty in your marriage? Why don't you and your wife get together for the first time and say together, Out in the name of the Lord. We put our feet down on this thing together. We take this in the name of the Lord. This is not too much for the Lord. It's too much for us. But it's not too much for... Have you got trouble with the children? Why don't you together speak as it were together, pray together, take action, possess it in the name of the Lord? Have you got problems in business? Why not speak? Why not lay hold on that for which Jesus Christ laid hold on you? 
Do you understand what I'm trying to say? I'm not asking you to be presumptuous. I'm asking you to put the soles of your feet down upon your inheritance. The Lord wants you to be a testimony. The Lord wants me to be a testimony. He wants you to be evidence of his power to save. He wants you and I to be the, the, the witnesses to his grace, to his deliverance, to his love, to his provision. We have problems often in fellowship with one another, so enormous that many fellowships fall to pieces. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we started as leaders to come and look squarely at some of these problems and say, we put our feet down on this thing in the name of the Lord. We take it. Now, my dear friends, you understand? Faith, another spirit. You need the spirit of the Lord, don't you? So do I. Action. And one last thing. Remember Hebrews 6 and verse 12. Don't be sluggish, but imitators of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Some <clears throat> promises can be inherited in a moment. You simply put your feet down and immediately the thing becomes yours. That's what happened when they came to the, the Jordan in harvest flood. The priests put the soles of their feet down through the water onto the riverbed and instantly it dried up. And we could almost say, now that's how it has to be every time. But when they came to Jericho, they had to go round the city once for six days and seven times on the seventh day. That was quite a lot of using the soles of their feet. They needed a bit more patience there. Some people might have said, well, I don't know. I think Joshua lacks faith, you know. I mean, why couldn't we have brought these walls down straight away? We saw coming across the River Jordan. It didn't have to get all hot like this, walking around this wretched city once a day for six days and seven times on the seventh day. That seems to me to be unbelief. But it was patience. There were other things like Jerusalem that took 400 years before they possessed it. Think of that. So there are some things that happen instantly and some things that happen over days and some things that happen over weeks and some things that happen over months and some things that happen over years and some things that happen over generations and some things that happen over millennia. But praise God, if he has defined a land and we possess it, it will be ours. So let us through faith and patience inherit the promises. Well, I pray that God may help you and me to press on. What a salvation you and I have. Do you know that to be part of the bride of Christ, there is not a single thing you need to add to the grace of God already available. Nor a single thing you have to add, add to the power of God made available to you. It is all yours if you and I would only lay hold on it. Do you want to be part of the bride? Do you want to be filled unto all the fullness of God? Do you want to come 
to a full-grown person, a full-grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Your Lord wants you there. That's what he wants for you and that's what he wants for me. May the Holy Spirit come upon us with a fresh understanding and fresh vision and fresh clarity and fresh faith that we may enter in. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Moment of quietness. Lord, we don't know what days we're entering into except that in our spirits we all feel that things are getting more tense, more dark, and more difficult. And Lord, we are here a company of your children. We want to go on. We want, Lord, to forget the things which are behind. We want to stretch forward to the things which are before. We want to press on toward the goal to the prize of your high calling in our Lord Jesus. Father, open our eyes this night in a new way. Renew us in faith, Lord. Every one of us has our own peculiar difficulties, our own peculiar situations, our own peculiar obstacles which undo us, Lord, every time. They seem so impossible. But there is no mountain that you cannot remove, no mountain that you cannot make a plain before us, no mountain that you cannot make a way for the fulfillment of your purpose. Oh Lord, help us this night. Help us in a new and fuller way to follow you, to rise up and to press on with you. Hear us, O oh Lord. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.